Mine's good. Life good! Got real close. Got hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have! Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. Live from the Rideau Curling Club in downtown Ottawa. Special recap episode of the Mixed Doubles here with Scott, as always. Hi, Scott. Sean, hello. Special guest this week. Or tonight, mixed doubles expert, one of the few people in the sport who has a six ender on her resume from Team Winter, Nancy White. Hi, Nancy. Hi, good to be here. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but we'll see. I well, I Nancy, you have a six ender. I was tangentially really part of that six ender. Partially. And there's not a lot of people who have six enders. I mean, this is the max you can score in a mixed doubles game. Very true. So we're here, and we're going to talk about this mixed doubles tournament and what happened over in Pyeongchang this week. So Canada wins gold. Yeah, what an epic uh, performance by Laws and Morris there. Oh, boy. It was exciting from start to finish. It was. It was It was an interesting week. And, and I tweeted yesterday... Uh, we're recording this Wednesday night, so Tuesday morning, Eastern time. I tweeted during the game something about, remember when everyone was nervous after they lost to Norway last week? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, not the greatest start, but, you know, maybe it was just the motivation they needed to really kick it into gear. I guess. I mean, they after that, they just, they crushed everybody. Yeah, they, they really crushed everybody, Sean. I was taking a look at the statistics here, and... Uh, on the plus minus, Team Canada was plus 37 over the rest of the field in their nine games. The next closest team wasn't even a playoff team, it was Team China. And right. They were only plus three. Canada was easily the class of this field. Morris and Laws, they really, really sort of brought their A game, mm-hmm. showed what, why they're gold medalists, and uh, brought that gold home. Yeah, so let's sort of look at this first. Let's look at the final standings and how this all broke down. So Canada loses that first game to Norway. They come back, run the table. They go 7-1. and one. Not really much resistance along the way, as you mentioned, with that plus-minus being way up. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't... They, there wasn't really a game, and, and to be fair, I didn't watch all the games. But what? in the games that I... I, I, I had a tendency to miss those 6 a.m. games, which was strange, I know. Uh, just not <laughs> dedicated, Sean. Just not dedicated. In the games that I watched... There was never really a lot of moments where it felt like they could lose. Like you never, you never really got nervous about it. I'd say the closest was in that semifinal when Caitlin really didn't perform very well in the first half of the game and was missing quite a lot of shots. And they they left a lot of points out there on the mm-hmm. ice. I'd say uh, it was tied two two at the break, but it easily could have been six to one or six to two for Canada. They they really. Uh, left a few of those opportunities, but in the second half, you know, they sort of regrouped and Caitlin found her stride, made that big shot for three that uh, ended up being the difference in the game. Yeah, absolutely. So from there, we have the other semifinal, which featured the uh, Russians against the Swiss. Uh, both of them finished the week uh, pretty well. One of them was, was four and three, the other five and two, I think. If I have that correct. You are correct. And that game was interesting in that the 
Russians had a shot to win the game, and it was wide and it was heavy, mm-hmm. and he missed it by whatever six feet or whatever. Like it wasn't really even close. So when we get to that that final, it, it seemed like Canada might have. I don't know if they got lucky. I mean, the Swiss team is the defending world champions, mm-hmm. but it probably should have been the Russians. Yeah, but you know, the way that they came out and played in that final, I don't think it met, would have mattered who it was. You know, they were they were on fire uh, that game yesterday morning. They really were. Yeah, yeah. That that final was crazy because there was concern. I think that Caitlin Laws. After her struggles in the semifinal, the thing that I think a lot of people forget is that final in Sochi in 2004. She struggled in that game as well. She saw 68% in that game, and that number is higher than probably it could have been because at the end of the game they were playing some relatively simple hits and peels. Mm -hmm. Through the middle of the game, she really struggled, and... Watching that semifinal, you felt like this was a, a replay almost of what happened in Sochi, where she struggled in this really big moment. But then second half of the game, felt like she didn't miss. And yesterday, she was outstanding. Yeah, yeah. And and what you say about Sochi is, is so right, in that Jennifer Jones strapped that team on her back uh, and, and led them to that gold medal in 2014. And I felt like John Morris did kind of the same for their team uh, this week. He... He was easily the best shot maker in the field. Uh, yeah, he missed a few, and wide and heavy was sort of the theme of the week, I'd say, if we're yeah. if we're uh, taking the whole the whole spiel there into account. But he he sort of provided that that leadership and that enthusiasm that um, that he, like he's talked about missing a little bit lately, and uh, he he really uh, really helped them to achieve what they achieved. Yeah, and they made a big deal about that on the broadcast, too, about how he was carrying Caitlin through. And not in, well, he made a lot of shots, so in that sense, he really carried the first half of that game. But also being positive and sort of doing that John Morris thing where he's always talking and talking about lines and rocks and everything, and just sort of keeping her in the game and not letting her get in her own head, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. And then, yeah, in the second half, she just crushed it. She absolutely just crushed it. Yeah, and she, she was also really strong in the brush, which... Uh, which was sort of maybe something that is overlooked in mixed doubles, mm-hmm. uh, especially on those first and last shots when usually the the male player will stand at the throwing end and fall the rock down and sweep. But with John and Caitlin, they didn't do that all the time. Yeah, and that was a change from what was happening, what we saw at the trials in Portage and or even early in the week where John was doing most of the sweeping. Mm-hmm. And then it felt like around Friday, Saturday... Right towards the tail end of that round, Robin, they made that switch. Caitlin went down and was sweeping a lot more of John's rocks when he was throwing, and she was getting up and sweeping her own a lot more with John holding the broom. And, you know, John Morris, I think he's a good sweeper. I think he could make a pretty strong case that Caitlin Loss is a better sweeper. You could make So it it makes a lot of sense to have that in play. Yeah, and what was really interesting was at the beginning of the week when John was sweeping Caitlin's rocks, it looked like he was getting in the way of her being able to call line because he mm-hmm. sort of comes around behind the rock and he sweeps really strongly, but but it seemed like she couldn't really tell. Oh, was yeah. was it curling or not? Who knows? So that was an interesting switch and and one that obviously benefited them. But I think it was a smart thing to do. Yeah, and also I mean it looked like John was starting to get worn out too, just physically from all that. 
Like he looked tired. In yeah, a well, few he's, of those he's, games. A, he's an old man. He's Sean, older he's now. Almost, yeah. No, no, he's not old. Come on, come on. Um, yeah, he's, he's older than most of us in this room. <laughs> <laughs> most. I'm not going to say who. He's not older than. Of course not. And uh, yeah, you're right though. I mean, it's a long week, and it that, that mixed doubles game is really demanding physically. Yeah. You're getting up to sweep your own rocks, and you're you don't have a lot of time between shots, and you can see. Like the the Swiss guy sweating through his shirt, right? How, yeah. How much he was working, and and uh, John was sweating at times too. Everybody out there was working really hard. So, yeah, at the end of a long week, you know, you're starting to get worn down. Why not bring in some uh, fresh sweeping arms in in Caitlin Laws, and you know, you could do a lot worse. That's yeah, and I wonder if that was a strategy going in to maybe split the week like that, and and say, mm-hmm. well, I mean, this way we'll have a fresh or sweeper. Yeah. through most of the games. I, I doubt it, that it was that deliberate that they thought about it, but it seemed to work out quite quite nicely for them. Now, when you've played mixed doubles, yeah. Sean, uh, what well, was Nancy, your... Well, Nancy can explain this. What was your sweeping strategy? What was the strategy, Nancy? Um, our strategy and contract going in was that uh, Sean was throwing his rocks and sweeping all rocks, including mine. Okay. Um, I have a feeling with... I told him the other day that with the... The new rule where you don't need a um, someone to hold the broom. Someone hold the broom that I would have been able to sweep more rocks. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. That's so yeah, when we played, yeah, it was before this this change to the rules. Mm-hmm. So when Nancy would throw, I did have to be at the other end, and then I would come out and sweep. And this is that is a really important change, change I think. Change. Yeah, that allowing somebody to sweep the whole end, you can save a lot more shots. And I'd be interested if someone had done a study to see if. Changing, take the world championship data, mm-hmm. say for the years before that changed, if percentages went up a hair, uh, and if that actually had a tangible difference in the shot making. That would be interesting to see. Because the shot making in this event, you mentioned the overall Canada as having the highest shooting percentage. They did have the highest shooting percentage. Uh, do you want me to talk about it, Sean? Yeah, so, nor- okay, well, let's say, what would you expect to see? And, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but. What would you expect to see for a winning team in say so now we got the four person teams going up. Right. What would you say that the top percentage would be for a week of this? What would you expect that number to be? Like the team percentage, I would say usually in the women's field it's a, like a couple of percentage points lower than in the men's field. But I would say maybe like 82 82 to 85 as a team. Right, I would say 85, yeah. in the 85, 85 range, yeah. So that's what you would expect. So here, the Team Canada with the best one. With the best one uh, was 80, 80%. Right. And the second closest shooting percentage was uh, was 74. So even the teams that are making the playoffs in this kind of an event are more in the 75, 70 to 75 range for mm. percentage-wise. And that's just because there's a lot more missed shots. Do in fact in part to the sweeping, in part to, you know, you're not having someone hold the broom mm-hmm. for you. So yeah. there's a lot more variables that go into it. Yeah, and when you look at the when it's broken down for individuals, mm-hmm. so on average, it just sort of in my scan of it here, the men shot a higher percentage than the women. Yeah, I think the the lowest male percentage 
was higher than the two lowest female percentages. So yeah, so yeah. But even so, like so with the men, you got 82, 78, 76, 74, 72, 71, 70, 64. Caitlin Laws is the high on the women, and she's at seventy six. Yeah, and and part of that comes down to what you're throwing, as what like, you're what you're throwing, and also yeah, because the majority of the women here are throwing the last rock, which tends to be a little bit harder. Yeah, they're also throwing the first rock. Right, but there's there's also you're also throwing fewer shots. Numbers, yeah, that's it. Right, you, you get it. You, yeah, there. you get you miss one as with the exception of the Russians as the the female player. That's going to take a higher percentage than a miss for a, a male player because over the course of the game you're throwing eight fewer shots. Yeah, yeah. So it, and that over seven games will get amplified. Yeah. So these statistics that we're talking about are just for the round robin. Yes. Uh, the seven games of the round robin. So. Sean, I said to you earlier, yep. I said, okay, so Team Canada, the highest percentage for sure. Like, what team do you think shot the lowest percentage this week? What do you think, Nancy? Well, I guess you know because we talked about it already. <laughs> why, don't yeah. you, why don't you wow us and be smart with the right answer? I, I don't even know if I remember the right answer. <laughs> the one with the lowest percentage? Yeah. Yeah, so there was actually three teams tied with the lowest percentage. Team percentage in the round. If I initially guessed, I would say it would probably be... Korea or China, but I know that's not the answer. Okay, well, well uh, no, Korea is Korea correct. Is one of them. Korea is one of them. Yeah, Korea is one of the three. The other being Finland, who you would expect because oh, they, yeah, I think they won them. one one game. One yeah, game. they had a they had a tough week. The other team was the Olympic athletes from Russia, your your bronze medalists. Yeah, who shot sixty seven percent for the week, uh, in the round robin. So that to me is pretty telling. The other telling stat is that. The USA, who had a pretty disappointing week, and we'll get to our picks in a minute, but their percentage was 74, the second highest tied with Norway. So what it says to me about mixed doubles is that it's not about uh, making more shots, it's about the timing of when you miss. You know, you could mm-hmm. be making a lot of shots, miss that key one, and give up a, a big three-ender or four-ender there. Yeah, and the, the American example is good because there was that game, I think it was against the Swiss, where they lost at the end, they gave up that sixth ender yeah. at the end, where they didn't really miss in that end that much. They were playing super aggressive because they had to. They had to steal uh, to, in order to, to win the game. And the only real miss they had was on Becca's last one. Yeah. And it wasn't really that much of a miss. It just overcurled. Mm-hmm. Right? She threw a great weight. They, they switched the line, on, went on the opposite side of the sheet, which was a little confusing. And it just overcurled, and it gave the Swiss an easy hit for the six. But they made four of those shots perfectly, and then sort of a half miss on the last one, and you give up six. And boom, there you go. That's that's how small the margin for error is in this. So I found that interesting looking at the uh, percentages there the other day, just to say, whoa, boy, uh, you know, the U.S., they sure didn't perform very well, but I wouldn't have I would have expected them to be lower in the, in the percentages. Yeah, me too. I, I agree that, that the percentages are a little misleading. And two, it's like with anything else, you, you got to look at the context of the game. Sort of who are they playing against, what types of shots are they playing, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And again, the, the percentages are so much... There's no, that much more variation because of the, the smaller sample size. Yeah. So it's, it's just that much harder. Uh, then the final. Do we need to talk about the final at all? Really? I mean, it was a somewhat interesting game. Caitlin had a shot, tough shot for four in the first end. That she missed. Uh, she was a little heavy, uh, maybe a little wide. She she was trying, I think, to split one in, and they only got the two out of it. I think you're thinking of the semifinal there. 
that was the that was the, the oh, was, oh right she split for, for four in the semifinal yeah, yeah. the um, first end they didn't have a shot at right they threw it away they in the final excuse me yeah they yeah. threw it away and got the two and then they get the force and then they steal so it's two two after three and you know, I, I was sitting there thinking maybe it's. Am I still talking about the semifinal? Yeah, you're 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 definitely uh, thinking wrong. So so okay. Canada, they they popped that big four four spot in the. All right, I have the Norway game. game. I have the Norway game up. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, Sorry. that that would be the semifinal game there. So yeah, they, they come up uh, huge in that in that third end and pop uh, big four, uh, which really sort of wrested control of the game. Uh, right there, I think that that was the moment where I thought, okay, they're the game's over. They're good. Yeah, and then the other big moment was in the fourth end when Switzerland used their power play. Yes. To try and get back in the game, being being down by four points, and and uh, Canada forced them to just one. Yeah. By, by making a few good shots, notably Caitlin playing like a hack waiter around the corner guard. Yeah. To uh, remove remove the Swiss stone and force them to one and that was a big uh, big turning point too because well maybe not a turning point but they were the, already in control but it's so like it's, it, that sort of was like the exclamation point on yeah. the uh, that was really the last chance that the Swiss had to c- get back and they used that so early too the, Mike Harris and Joe McCusker mentioned this on the broadcast that was one of the one of the only times that somebody used a power play in the first half of the game all week, mm-hmm. and then to only come out with a force or to come out with one it for the Swiss, yeah, you're down six three without the hammer going into the second half. You're really in a tough situation. Yeah, it was uh, it was a tough go for the Swiss. I mean, they were trying their best, but the, the Canadians they brought their A game yesterday. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And one interesting thing about the power play too, the the Canadians didn't use it very often. I think they only used it twice. All week in the the ten games they played, they just didn't use it. And and there was a few games there where they had the hammer in the seventh end and they were up, and they could have used it defensively. Mm-hmm. They chose not to, thinking, well, if they steal, then we can use it defensively in the eighth, which I thought was this uh, a rather interesting strategy. Especially one game I can't remember what game it was. They were up by one in the seventh with the hammer, mm-hmm. and if you get forced to one there, the other team has the hammer. And then your power play, you, you can't use it in the, the in an extra round. Mm-hmm. So there's a few times that maybe they could have used it, but I mean it's hard to complain with the performance <laughs> all week. Yeah, with we're the power really picking play. nits there, you know. I mean, yeah. So overall, Scott, you want to go through the preview, our, our predictions? Yeah, I'd love to talk predictions. <laughs> Let's talk about because the predictions. I know that that's my my real uh, contribution to this this podcast is my. Amazing prediction. Yeah, so you in the playoffs had the Canadians, check. The Russians, two for two. Hey, look at me, yeah. two for two. Then you had the Americans. Oh. And finally, the Chinese. Q. The sound from. Yeah, <laughs> the, price, the price is right horns. Uh, do you remember who your gold medal pick was? Yeah, my gold medal pick was Team China, you know, and. Do you know who your dark horse pick was? You had a dark horse pick as well. I had a dark horse pick? You had a dark horse pick. Oh boy. Okay. Do you remember who it was? No. The Koreans. Oh. <laughs> so they, that was not a bad dark hometown. horse pick. They had a fun week. Yep. Didn't make the playoffs. Uh, they tried their best. I mean, what can you do? So Pick better? So, okay. 
<laughs> okay, the Chinese made a tiebreaker, so they got it off to a rough start and couldn't really recover. They looked like they were picking up a bit of steam at the towards yeah. the end of the week there, and they they beat Norway to force the tiebreaker. Yeah, it was an interesting situation, right, where you yeah. play the team back to back, and they beat them, I think, nine to three. Or yeah, it was a it wasn't a close game. Yeah, they, it was yeah. a pretty decisive win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking here, 9-3. to three. They scored a 5-spot in the 6th end uh, that basically ended the game. So it was interesting that they couldn't come back and, and repeat that kind of performance. And I think they still could have gotten a medal if they were, you know, if they had started a little better. So, yeah, uh, I, I was wrong. <laughs> I said, I'm wrong. Hey, yeah. What the hell do I know? I'm just a guy, right? Sure, yeah, that, that, so, that'll get people listening. So yeah, you're just a guy, you don't know anything. Right. I'm just a guy whose brother has a microphone, so right on. And, uh, well, talking about picks, talking about picks, uh, I want to hear, Sean, how your picks panned out for this. Uh, well, they picked out quite nicely. So my picks for the playoffs were the Swiss team. Oh, the Swiss team. They made it. They made the playoffs. I had the Chinese as a playoff team. Yeah. So I'm going to do the same thing that I did with the Scotties, where I had picked... Uh, whoever lost in the tiebreak game, I had them. So I was oh, uh, I had Newfoundland and Labrador. They made it to a tiebreak game. I'm claiming that as a partial victory. Partial victory. Okay. Then I had the Russians, who made the playoffs, and of course the Canadians, who made the playoffs. And my gold medal pick was Canada. Well, you certainly look smart. And looks in like we have a winner. Retrospect. No, I, I look. No, not even in retrospect. I did this before. It's on the record. You can go listen to it. We have the tape. We have the tape. We have Check the, the tape. tape. Check the tape. My dark, dark horse team with the Americans, they just got off to a bad start. They never really found their footing. Yeah, yeah. When, you know, uh, they're slamming brooms all over the place. and it, it didn't seem to me like they were communicating too well either, um, which was interesting because they've known each other yeah. for their whole lives. Yeah, but what can appear as poor communication can actually be... Like nothing to them, right? right so, if, right. like, there was one where Becca had this really big eye roll to Matt, yeah. or somebody said. But I mean, they're siblings, so that yeah, to yeah. normal, like in a normal non-familial relationship, that could be problematic. With brother or sister, it's just nothing. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, do we think first time mixed doubles at the Olympics? It certainly got a lot of attention. Mr. T, is, <laughs> Mr. T loved it. He's going crazy on Twitter over this stuff. A lot of people are are into it. I have to say. I'm somewhat torn. Like, it was fun, fast-paced, good to watch. I like the extra curling content. It's it goes so fast. There's so many points that almost watching the, the team stuff now, especially with the way Italy played last night, mm. makes you want to scoop your eyes out with a spoon at times. Um, and with all due respect to the Italians, if I was playing Kevin Cooey, I would try and do the same thing and just eliminate ends as many as possible mm-hmm. and just shorten the game. So I, I don't criticize them for that, but the five-rock rule cannot get here fast enough. Interesting, interesting. There, I think you're right. I think that it might play better after the team event if you're, if you're thinking, okay, we could sort of slowly ramp up to the mm-hmm. quote-unquote more exciting but overall, holy cow, it was a whirlwind of a week. Uh, the games were fast and furious coming at you. There's curling for the whole two weeks of the Olympics. Every day. That's uh, a big improvement in my eyes. And to be honest, I haven't really 
like followed any other sports at the Olympics. <laughs> I'm just focused on this curling. Yeah, and it's it's been really good. I, I think too there are some things from mixed doubles that we could take and we could implement into the full team game that would help the four team full team game. I think the the most underplayed rule in mixed doubles that I think is the best rule is that if there's a blank end, the hammer switches. Hmm. I would love to see that in the four person game. Yeah, that's uh, it would that's... totally change the strategy and it would make the team without hammer much more willing to play open. So I think you still see a lot of open ends, just the r- other way around. Right. But I, with the five rock rule, that's hard. So five rock rule, blank end, hammer switches. I, I wonder what would happen. Yeah, that's a fundamental change to the game that I don't think I'm ready for yet. I don't, <laughs> don't know if I'd call myself a traditionalist by any stretch of the imagination, but that would be a bit of a step too far right now. In the mixed doubles game, I really like it. It encourages scoring discourages playing the big run backs that that a lot of the players can make nowadays so in that context i think it's fine uh maybe we could talk about introducing it to the the four person game but for now i like my curling (laughs) the old-fashioned way i guess well what about the rule then what if we had the rule no hits what if we had that rule no red let's say leads can't hit at all what if we added that yeah you extend the free guard zone to be the whole sheet. Yeah. No, you can't remove a stone from play. Because what, what was interesting is with this power play, the way the Canadian tried to defend it mm-hmm. was by tapping the guard over, uh, either into the house or off to the boards and rolling over to a center guard. Yeah. It's a really interesting strategy to move the stones without removing the stones. And we see that a lot, certainly with Rachel Holman's team. Lisa Weagle does it a lot. And I wonder if you added that element to the four-person game where you can't move stones at all team without the hammer comes top four on the first one do you tap it do you go do a corner guard what do you do just to see what the evolution of that strategy would be yeah it's interesting i think it would make it a lot harder for the team with the hammer you know the 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 team without the hammer can put their first rock perfect top four Mm -hmm. and then just guard yeah and you got to make but that's why but that's That's why do you tap then you come in, you try and tap that one, yeah, yeah. get it behind. I just wonder, and we've seen it to me too many times, you know, that first end in 10 end games is just a waste of time. A lot of times, yeah. So the the change I could see coming down the pipe is, is moving to eight ends as opposed to yeah as opposed to 10, which I'm sure the TV networks would really like. But Well, I don't know about the networks. Vic. Vic <laughs> would love it. Vic would be so happy. You could get you could get to his red wine faster. You would just love it. Yeah, not as much uh, moving around there. Yeah. So for sure, for sure. But uh, going getting back to sort of how mixed doubles has has raised curling's profile. You know, I listened to a few podcasts this week from some of the American uh, sports talk guys. Uh, Richard Deitch podcast I was listening to, and they they were saying, "Oh, this curling! You got to check out this curling! Like the bad boy of." The bad boy of curling, that Johnny Johnny Morrison was his name. Yeah. What's his name? Yeah, the bad boy of curling. Yeah, and they're so they're, you know, the, the profiles being raised. People are talking about it. Of course, that happens every Olympic cycle. We'll see, you know, how much of it carries over. But I think it's overall great for curling, and uh, good for us because it gives us something to talk about. Yeah, Nancy, what do you think? Do you think there is a future for mixed doubles? I do. I, I agree. It's definitely going to raise the profile. I think you're going to see more clubs probably offer leagues in mixed doubles. 
Um, and I think there's room for four-person curling and mixed doubles to, to thrive mm-hmm. in Canada. So. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the question is, for mixed doubles to be successful in this country, at least, is our club's going to lose revenue from it yeah. because you, you're taking half the people yeah. off the ice. And that's a question that I think a lot of clubs would probably not want to want to look at that. And not just in terms of registration fees, but then your bar fees, right? Your bars a- tab afterwards is going down by half. So I wonder if there's a way that you could do it. So let's say, let's if we take the Ottawa Curling Club as an example. Right now, they only have two draws a night, a 6.30 and 8.45, with the exception of Fridays, I think. Um, and I don't know about the cash league, but certainly on Mondays and Thursdays, the <laughs> nights I'm familiar with, two draws a night. Would it be possible move that 6.30 to a 6.45, slot in a 5, uh, a five o'clock mixed doubles league, and then you're not actually losing anything at all in terms of revenue, and it could be a way to increase revenue. And if there's clubs around the country that, that could do it because it takes so much less time than a normal game to play, that that, I think, would be the way to do it. Or you take a normal dead time mm-hmm. at the curling club where the club would be closed normally, and then you can open it up because you only have to open up for two and a half hours to get a game in and a drink afterwards. Yeah, there's a lot of clubs uh, that I'm familiar with, or I've heard lots of stories of clubs losing membership uh, the last few years. There's a lot more things to do. Mm-hmm. People are less inclined maybe to go out and the drinking and driving rules have been great, but they also maybe you don't want to stay as long afterwards and and have four four or five beers, you're going to have one or two. And the the way that these clubs that are losing bleeding members, it it could be mixed doubles, right? Or just Mm -hmm. call it the doubles league, it doesn't have to be mixed. Yeah, play these rules, but you can play whatever you want, just open combination, yeah. Yeah, so I, I used to belong at the Royal Montreal Curling Club. I, I still am a member. Now, to be fair, you guys are bleeding members because they're all 90 years old. Well, you know, the demographic is a little <laughs> on, the, on the gray side there. But they, they, they have trouble filling leagues for a three-sheet club. Yeah. So I, I believe that we did do this and have uh, mixed doubles sort of style mini tournaments throughout the year that uh, help drive people to the club. Mm-hmm. And uh, eat the food and and drink the beer. Yeah, it's it's really and it's a, it's just fun to play. Like John like Morris it. said this. There was an interview with John Morris today, where he basically said he's not. He strongly indicated he's not going to play on a four-person team for the next quadrennial, and he's just going to do mixed doubles hmm. because he has more fun with it. There's not as many games to play, so he can be at home a lot more. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. And and Jeff Stout was quoted in the story as saying that he thinks that players are going to start making this decision between doubles and four-person teams. I'd really like to see that. And the other reason why I think we see some countries around the world that are thriving at mixed doubles before Canada got their program in place a couple of years ago is if you didn't, if you came, if you were hungry for a while, whereas at the top, I think, in the world. Yeah, they won a world championship. A world championship is you might not be able to, pull together a four-person team, but you might be able to find one person to go out and, and, and play with. So um, on some of those smaller clubs in Canada or where they can't formulate four-person people, then mixed doubles might be the way that they can go. At the World Championship, we have seen countries, like Brazil's been there, Qatar's yeah. been there. So countries that you wouldn't maybe expect yeah. to see at a, at a full-team World Championship, they can get in. And, you know, the, the bear, I don't know what the World Curling Federation's barrier to entry is for... 
the mixed doubles world championships, it seems like any member association can nominate a team and, and have a team go, which is great. I mean, part of the reason that mixed doubles is what it is, is to grow the game. Even if you look at the eight teams that were in the Olympics, and they're all teams that have uh, full teams there as well, and either the men's or the women's. Mm-hmm. But overall, successful? Oh, big time, big time. I, I wanted to say in our preview pod there, Sean, we talked about the number of Olympic points each country had for qualification, but we did not talk about the world ranking of each team. Right. And I've been frantically trying to pull it up here. Uh-huh. It's, it's in a, an Excel format, and, you know, my computer's not for work, this computer, so I don't have any way to open the spreadsheet. But if you want to check it out, worldcurl.org, yeah. and they've got the, the list there of the team rankings for the men's, the women's, and mixed doubles. Okay. So some of those names that you saw this past week, you can check where they are on the, the world ranking list. It'll be interesting because I assume out of the eight teams that were there, though, John Morris and Caitlin Laws would have been ranked last with zero points. Absolutely. Uh, or maybe a handful of points from the trials. But certainly, uh, but again, they're the only team that hadn't played together for a long <laughs> time. And, and let's talk about the Steve Simmons column re- real quick. Did any of you read the Steve uh, Simmons column? I, I actively avoid reading Steve Simmons' columns. Okay. Did you read it, Nancy? No, I did not. Okay, so, all right, then I'll talk about the Steve Simmons <laughs> column. The Steve Simmons column, basically, the premise was I'm not going to celebrate this gold medal because it's a made up sport. And he, ha- he says in the article that, you know, there are other athletes who train their whole life and then that's how they get the gold medal. But John Morris and Caitlin Laws practiced together once for a half hour before the trials. And I'm thinking, that doesn't make any sense. No. Because they had to train their whole lives to get to those trials. John Morris and Caitlin Laws have both played in mixed doubles national championships, even if not together. They've both done it before with other partners. They've played in a bunch of events. To suggest that they just sort of showed up and won this is ridiculous, A. Two... All sports are made-up sports. Yeah. They're all invented sports. Like, what are you talking about, Steve Simmons? He got crushed, at least on the Twitter that I pay attention to, Mm. for this. I think absolutely rightly crushed for it. He also got mad about the team figure skating and how that's not a real gold medal. And he basically went after Patrick Chan. He's like, oh, you got your gold medal. But it's not a real gold medal. Well, come on. Yeah, shut up. That's like, that's garbage clown territory. Come is on. It, yeah, right? Like it makes no sense. It's like he's trying like you're trying to be Skip Bayless. And and you know what? Who cares if you don't recognize it? It's your opinion doesn't matter to anyone. Yeah. We don't really recognize Steve Simmons that much. Yeah, this this podcast's official position is no to Steve Simmons. Yeah, we we yeah, I was just I was shocked when I read that. So uh, we'll also say real quick a couple things in the world of curling have come up, which we're not going to talk about in depth because we're going to wait more for the summer to talk about these things. But women's teams have started to announce that they are going their separate ways. People are being future endeavored, if you would. <laughs> um, so today, Val Sweeting's team announced that they were, were disbanding. Carrie Anderson, fresh off that finals appearance at the Scotties, not really surprising based off of everything we've heard about that team, uh, that Carrie's going to go her separate way, but the other three are going to continue to play together with another skip, which raises the possibility of maybe a Caitlin Laws coming in to skip that team potentially, or Kate Cameron maybe, like some of the, the, the players in, in Manitoba who are going to need teams. 
So, so they broke up. Tracy Fleury's team, they're going their separate ways. Kelsey Rock as well. And then some other ones around the country. But this process has started. And this is going to be a head-spinning summer in terms of teams breaking up and players finding new combinations as everyone gets set for the next Olympic cycle. Next year doesn't matter as much as two years from now. So next year, like the summer of 2019, there could be a lot of shifting too. But this this summer is just going to be a bloodbath in terms of teams breaking up. And not always in an angry way. No. But just the it, it's going to happen. And, and I, I very much look forward to our wild speculation on where uh, people could go once yeah. uh, all the... Well, I, I just made one. Caitlin Loss is going to take over the, <laughs> the Anderson team. That's my wild speculation there. Um, and, and someone said on Twitter today, I can't remember who, but the, the word is that Jill Officer is planning to retire. That's unconfirmed, more uh, speculation. And if that happens, what happens with Jennifer Jones and all this? So, I mean, it's going to be a crazy wild summer. The only, we've heard that Team McCarville is going to stick together. Uh, we know that. We're happy about that because the official position of this show is that they could be the best team in the world. And that Crystal McCarville could be the best skip yeah. in Canada. Yeah, they just don't go on tour and play as much as everyone else. If they got the reps that everyone else got, she could be the best skip. That's the position of this show. You got that right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so overall, mixed doubles, a success. Big thumbs up from this podcast. Big thumbs up. All right, so we will leave you with that. We encourage you to enjoy now the full team events that have started off as we record this. Kevin Cooey is 2-0. and Rachel Holman is on the ice as we're recording this. I, I heard a big cheer. Uh, well, cheer. There's yelling and then some mild clapping. Well, you know what? Um, we're we're going to date, club cheer. We're gonna date this podcast and it, currently at the fifth end break, uh, Republic of Korea is up 4-1 on Team Canada, having given up a big steal. Wow. So look at that. And uh, with that... Uh, it appears as though when you wake up or when you listen to this, Rachel Holman will probably have played at least two games, uh, if not if not more, depending on when you're listening to it. But at this moment, not a great start for, for the Canadian team, but we'll see how they recover. We'll head out to the lounge and watch it. So our thanks to the Rideau Curling Club, Pierre Mondor. We're in his office, and yeah. we're, we're using yeah. his office as there's a, a party going on upstairs, uh, an event, a rental. The mixed Wednesday night league is on the ice. Right now, Team Moser playing in their push for the club championship. And uh, I think they're a few points out, so we'll see if they can make up some ground this evening. Hmm. Haven't seen any face palms yet. Not yet, but I'm sure they're coming. So you can find us at on Twitter at Game of Stones Pod, Scott at Scott Lakes TV, I'm at Dr. Shawnee Fever, Nancy's at NL White. That's right. You can also email the show, gameofstonespodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Please do subscribe. Give us a rating as well. Comment if you want. You don't have to. Ratings are good. Good ratings only. So, on behalf of Nancy, Scott, I am Sean Graham. Keep your broom on the ice. Don't dump that intern.